Hello and welcome to the latest Grazia Life Advice episode. It's lovely to have you with us. I'm Rhiannon and as always we are getting six life tips from one brilliant guest. This time it's an amazing comedian who's been on our screens for the best part of 20 years. Hi, it's Mel Gedroich here, uh, welcoming you to the... Actually, no, I'm not welcoming you, I'm not the host. Bloody hell, I'm so smug. <laughs> Mel Gedroich, one half of Mel and Sue, is probably most famous for bringing us the first seven series of The Great British Bake Off. Now, though, she's just released her first novel. It's called The Best Things and it's packed with heart and humour. With, hopefully some laughs i say that really advisedly there are there are some laughs yeah but you never know though rianne do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah you come to the end of it and you think is any of that any good at all yeah and are there any gags in there quite possibly not without giving too much away it's about a woman and a family who overnight lose all their money and their home it is at least in part inspired by mel's own life Yes, it stemmed from a personal truth. It was something mm -hmm. that, that uh, I had a brush with. We lost a house and rented a very tiny little, we called it the 70s love nest. We also talk in this chat about what Mel is looking forward to as we come out of lockdown, not least a return to business as usual for comedians at the Edinburgh Festival. All the performers, writers, you know, theatricals who've been sort of repressed for the last year and a bit they're yeah. just gonna i mean there's gonna be a massive wave i think which is exciting and musicians yeah. and oh mel was honestly a delight to speak to so let's get into the chat hi mel how are you rhiannon i am extremely well it's very very lovely to be on your podcast thank you for inviting me oh my god i'm so happy to have you on and where are you where are you talking from i'm in my bedroom i'm in my bedroom lovely i thought you might be <laughs> Girlfriend, let's have a pillow fight. <laughs> I have become too used to my bedroom. Being in normal clothes now, like stuff with a waistband, trousers with a waistband or shirts with a collar, which has to happen very, very occasionally, is just the weirdest feeling. Yeah. Mm. I've got this brilliant Sesame Street onesie um, <laughs> that is is kind of worn down in various parts now because it's just been used solidly since March. Yeah, that it's sounds kind of, incredible. Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. Um, you're here because you're going to be a brilliant guest, but also to talk about the fact that you have a novel out, your first ever novel. <laughs> uh, it's called The Best Things. And yes. well, it's about a woman called Sally Parker, but why don't you tell us kind of what, what the plot of the novel is? So probably you might have met a Sally Parker. You might mm -hmm. even have a Sally Parker in your life. I don't mm -hmm. know. But she is the woman who seems to have everything. Mm -hmm. She's got the kind of the fancy lifestyle. She's got the hedge fund manager, husband earning kajillions. She's got perfectly seeming children. Uh, she's got it all. She's the woman with sort of patent beige high heel shoes yeah a bit like Kate Middleton in the wardrobe <laughs> there's a lot of biscuit colored clothes in the wardrobe yeah. that sort of woman they live in Surrey they are living the life on a kind of supersized scale basically mm. and basically in a nutshell they lose it all they lose absolutely every penny mm. that they ever possessed and it's about Sally Parker actually re-emerging finding her voice, finding her strength. You know, she's the kind of woman, the trophy wife that's 
put her life on pause. She's pressed the pause button on herself, mm. the snooze button, and she's become this sort of really quite sad, very passive figure. And it's it's her story, really. It's how she emerges. I won't tell you what happens. I'm not going to say anything. But it's a big old redemptive family tale with hopefully some laughs. I say that really advisedly. There are there are some laughs. Yeah, but you never know though, Rianne. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you sit there in the local library, uh, as I did for the winter yeah. of 2019, kind of chuckling to yourself quite a lot, feeling quite <laughs> pleased with yourself. Yeah. And then you come to the end of it and you think, is any of that any good at all? Yeah. And are there any gags in there? Quite possibly not. So <laughs> I really enjoyed writing it though. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. I say so far as if I'm not going to like the rest of it, but yes. I just, <laughs> terrible thing to say. I've um, read I've read 23 pages. I won't go any further. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Rhiannon. Really supportive. Yeah, no, it's great. And I just wanted to ask you, I don't want to insult you, but I don't think Sally Parker's wear Sesame Street onesies. So where did this story, you can do anything for your debut novel. So why this story and why, why did you end up on that? So I think good stories not always but often tend to come from some sort of a truth I think they have to don't they really Mm. it's got to come from a place which means something to you I suppose I didn't go through the same experience as Sally Parker remotely but we did have let's say quite a large financial hiccup in our lives Mm. about oh 15 years ago and it turned everything upside down And that really stayed with me. I knew I wanted to write something about a family that has to kind of strip away all their attachments Mm. to material goods and say, right, what what really is the most important thing in life? Mm. Is it your house that you've just lost or is it actually your family? Yeah. It's probably your house. No, it's not. It's not. not at all so yes it stemmed from a personal truth it was something Mm -hmm. that that uh, I had a brush with but I must say as well I'm very lucky I have a very supportive family as my as my husband does as well and Mm -hmm. we would never have been left homeless of course but we we lost a house and uh, rented a very tiny little we called it the 70s love nest um (laughs) this kind of amazing corduroy velvet funny little flat the four of us really mm. tiny had to put all our stuff into kind of well actually we sold a lot of it to be honest because we just thought this stuff's all absolutely useless anyway we don't yeah. need this stuff and we were there for two years and sort of built our lives back and were never happier it was weird mm. it was weird very it was a, it was a sort of yeah, interesting time. I mean, not. I wouldn't advise it. It's very, <laughs> it's very stressful at times, but it it kind of brought home a lot of truth. And I hope that that is uh, something that you'll find in my novel, The Best mm. Things. Um, yeah, and comedy. There's always comedy. Yeah, you have to you have to laugh at the at the at the awful things that happen to you. You just have to, otherwise, you can't get through. I think. Mm. I think it's really important. Yeah. Well, look, we haven't even got into your best piece of advice and you've already given us several. So (laughs) let's start off. And your first piece of advice. I love this. Tell us what it is. So I think with the kind of digital era that we're all living in, um, I don't do a lot of social media. I'm going to try and do some Instagram uh, at some point. (laughs) Haven't quite got around to it yet. I know that's the wrong terminology. My children laugh because I say 
let's get on the WhatsApp. And they go, mum, it's not, it's not the WhatsApp. <laughs> Yeah. You're just on what to, anyway. I know I've got the wrong language with this, but anyway, I'll crash on. Mm. Um, yes, in this kind of crazy, disposable digital age where people are just pumping out stuff whoa, 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 endlessly, endlessly, I think good old fashioned letter writing and card writing, postcards. I'm sounding like a nana, I know, no, as no. I say this, but the joy of getting a blooming card through the mm. post. I noticed actually last Christmas, so Christmas 2020, after that very difficult year that we'd all had, we got loads of Christmas cards Mm. at Christmas. I don't know if you did. And I found I sent a lot more because I really wanted that kind of tangible contact with people, I think. There's something about pen on paper. Yeah. And I think, and I say this to my kids, they get really bored, but I say, look, send thank you cards. It goes a Mm. long, long way. People remember it, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm 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 a bit middle-aged, sorry. No, I think it's amazing. You know, someone else who gave the similar piece of advice on this show was Emma oh, yeah. Barnett. Oh, um, I yeah. love Emma. I love her. She's yes. so cool. Same. And she says, you know, it's a big thing of hers. And also that um, she talked about how important it was for her to receive them as well. And I think it's such a nice thing, isn't it? It's like knowing someone's gone to that extra bit of effort. Definitely. But also in quite a sort of, in, in a slightly cunning way, if, if you receive a thank you card from somebody for something that you've done, it's going to make you much more likely to do something else for them. Yeah. So yeah. young'uns, young'uns listening, come on, get, yeah. your, get your courtesy skills. It really helps. It does. It really does. Yeah. I always think to those times the week after Christmas, having to sit down and write, oh. writing the, oh, thank you very much for my books and everything. But you know, that is important. And I when agree. you have your own children again, you start to press that on them, don't you? Absolutely. And I, I'm sorry, a text or an email just doesn't cut it for me. No. It doesn't. No. <laughs> They're off the list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, please tell me your second piece of advice because I love this. Oh, do you know what? This came about, I think all of us in the last sort of year, 18 months have been doing things like sorting out our photo albums. Yeah. Well, if you're me, you have been. I don't know if you're the same, Rihanna, but I've been doing a lot of that sort of thing. Yeah. And I came across some photos from the late 80s where a group of us from university had taken a show up to Edinburgh to the festival. And in my memory... I really thought I was very, very cool in 1989. <laughs> Honestly, I've got this real vision of myself of just being kind of at my at my best. Mm. The the wardrobe was cutting edge. It was a bit rock and roll. It was a little bit out there. It was a bit left field. The hairdo was excellent. Yeah, all that stuff. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, found a load of photos from this particular <laughs> particular summer of 89. And in every blooming photo, I was in a pair of white leggings. I can't believe it. Well, under a sort of <laughs> quite cool, I have to say. I think I'd nicked it off my sister. Um, this sort of prom dress, right. a short prom dress with uh, braces on the top. Wow. Okay. White leggings and then a pair of purple brothel creepers, which come on, they're, <laughs> they're, perennially, they're perennially cool. Yeah. And I just looked at these photos and it was as if my entire past just came crumbling down. Yeah, it was all a lie. Oh, my (laughs) days. I think the only people that can wear white leggings, seriously, are 
people like Kate Moss. Mm-hmm. You see them in Fellini films. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those incredible black and white, gorgeous, glorious divas like Anouk Aimé. Um, Sophia Loren could possibly wear white leggings. She wouldn't, but no. she, she might look good in them. But I just think there are very, very few people <laughs> that can get away with them. Every photo, Rhiannon, every photo from Edinburgh Festival 89, wow. I'm in these chuffing leggings and they look awful. They do nothing for my calves. So do you think you had one pair or more? Were you wearing the same pair of leggings every day? Quite possibly one pair. <laughs> let's, let's not go there. Edinburgh <laughs> Festival hygiene is not of the, you know, yeah. it's not of the utmost importance. There, mm-hmm. You know, there's theatrical craft to be pursuing up there, Rhiannon. We don't think about simple things like laundry. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, 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 dearie me. Yeah. Do you still go to the Edinburgh Festival? Do you still love trying to get involved with the comedy scene? I do, actually. Mm. And I'm really happy to say that my youngest daughter, Vita, uh, she keeps her cards very close to her chest. Okay. But she's got very good. I must. Yeah, don't tell her I said this. She's got very good comic timing. Right. And I'm not going to be the pushy mum that's saying, oh, go to lots of comedy workshops and because that will totally put her off. But we do things together like go to the Edinburgh Festival and we have such a laugh. Yeah. It's just so fun. The last time we went, we just did two days. We saw 15 shows, I think. Wow. And actually she's really plugged into all the kind of latest comedy and tells me about it. Uh, she took me to this show called, um, they're a group called The Police Cops. And okay. I tell you what, they are the future. They are hilarious. Yeah, I, they're so so brilliant. I'm going to look check those out because yeah, I mean, yeah, we really hilarious. we really obviously missed it last year, and I just want you know when everyone gets back to life, I think it'll be everyone will be running up there, won't they? We need I think so. Oh, we need we just mm. need tons of stuff like that. I mean, it's it's going to be quite overwhelming because of course all the performers, writers, you know, theatricals mm. who've been sort of repressed for the last year and a bit. Yeah. I'm just going to, I mean, there's going to be a massive wave, I think, which is exciting. And musicians yeah. and, oh, it, it's going to be an exciting time, I hope. I really do. Yeah, I hope so. Some roaring 20s, hopefully. Can oh, I can, yeah. <laughs> can I ask, you said your daughter is funny and kind of has that timing. Mm. Were you always told you were funny? Was that something from when you were little, from when you were younger? Were you always into comedy? Well, I was the youngest of four mm. and quite a lively family I'm not gonna lie big characters a lot of gags a lot of bants so I had to do something Mm. to get their attention and I'm afraid I found my little niche (laughs) I I mean my family tease me mercilessly and Mm. vice versa we're we're not a kind of family I mean we support each other but there's a lot of teasing that goes on and I think that's very very important and I have to say we are like that with our children I think but I've no, I've always in answer to your question, I've always absolutely loved comedy. Just so, funny in your bones, that kind of person. Some well, people are, I think. I, I, I don't. Well, that's very, that's very sweet of you to say that. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but it's kind of all that I can do. Yeah. So I'm gonna <laughs> stick with whatever that is. No, don't forget you're a novelist now too. So. Oh, darling, I'm a, you can I'm do a that. writer. Yeah. I'm a novelist. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, who knows? I definitely, I've got another one on the brew. Um, Exciting. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely the way forward. When you're writing something like that, you sort of have 
total control over it. It's not like making a telly show when you're constrained by budgets mm. or you've got a thousand people just saying, nah, that'll never work. Sorry. Next. Mm. If you're writing a novel, if, you, if you're lucky to be given the opportunity to write a novel, you've got total control, man. You can take mm. your characters wherever, whenever you can, you can lavish the money on them. Yes. Yeah. That's a great phrase. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll, well, anyway, we'll see. <laughs> your third piece of advice is that failure is as important as success mm. I, f- I feel like that's something we're coming to learn in society but we're not quite there yet I mean how did how did you come to this I suppose I sort of Sue and I my my comedy partner Sue and I my greatest friend in the world mm. um so we've known each other since 1988 which is 32 ruddy years. I can't (laughs) quite believe it. We have been through so many failures, (laughs) the pair of us, either as individuals or mainly together. And they are always the times and the events and the things that you just remember and you laugh about. Mm. I mean, that's the great thing about being in a double act is that because you've got each other, you can or you can usually, there are times when you can't, but mm. usually there's a lot of laughter in the fact that you're in this appalling situ in this appalling situation. You're going down the pan, you're crashing massively down the U-bend. I mean, I can't tell you, we talked about Edinburgh Festival. We did eight Edinburgh festivals, I think, together, Sue and mm. I. And okay, one of them probably was quite good for us, maybe two. Oh, there are a lot that were really, really <laughs> real, real shockers, shockers. Yeah. And, um, you know, we all fail, don't we, mm-hmm. all the time. And I think it's good to recognise that and really try and um, see the good side. Maybe not at the time. I think you have to have to give it a few months before you can say, oh, yeah, right. OK, that was bad. Yeah. But then, that, but then that good thing happened or something weirdly good happened out of that failure. I think that often happens, but you don't see it at the time. <laughs> Sometimes it's just still standing, isn't it? The fact that you're still standing and it's about building yeah, resilience too. Absolutely. I mean, I've always thought having been performing for a long, long time now, I mean, scarily, you know, decades, I sort of think, well, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. I've, you just got to kind of embed your feet like little anchors and just say, no, that may have been bad. This may be, you know, tricky times, but I'm not going anywhere. No. This is what I do. This is all I can do. Yeah. I love that. We'll be back with more from Mel after this. We're still here with Mel, fantastically, and I'd love you to tell us your fourth piece of advice. Lovely to be here. Lovely (laughs) to be here, Rhiannon. Um, So my fourth piece of advice is to do with working life, to do with getting jobs and stuff. And I kind of think... I've done some really quite menial, boring, sucky jobs Mm. in my life. I'm sure we all have. You know, when you're starting out, I think you've got to be humble. And I don't mean that in the sense of just being weak and I'm going to lie over, you know, and I'm going to roll over like a Labrador and just go, oh, treat me really badly. I don't mean that at all. But what I'm saying is if you're doing a job that bores you, that you find just oh relentless and awful Mm. I think you've got to try and give it a hundred percent I do I think everything you tackle in life has got to be done with a hundred percent I don't mean to be glib about this 
and kind of say, oh, you know, I had a job for three weeks and it was really tough, but I got through it. I just mean, if you can tackle something with enthusiasm and Mm. a little dash of optimism, it can really help. Because we've all been in that situation in life, haven't we? Where we've been thinking, this is awful. This is dead end. This is terrible. I suppose what I'm saying is try and try. I try try and be optimistic about things. Yeah. Because I think there's always a little chink of light and hope. Absolutely. And I think your attitude to something and whatever you're doing will always affect the way you feel about it. I mean, I'm sure you could walk into the greatest job in the world in a bad mood and have a bad day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no, absolutely. Also, rubbish jobs always bring later on the best anecdotes. They just do. (laughs) Yeah. When you get to my grand old age of 52 and you're sitting around with your mates, what do you talk about? You talk about the times where you've been in the Mm doo-doo. You just do. So... If you're in that situation, you know, at the moment when where where you're you're in a job that you just don't like or you can't get a job, you know, I mean that's I've been in that situation loads, loads and loads. Have faith and have a mm. little bit of optimism. Please, please, things will get better. So I am very keen to hear about your fifth piece of advice because this is something I have never ever been able to master. Tell us, tell us your fifth piece of advice. It's frightening. Um <laughs> It is frightening that the piece of advice is I'm calling it kill with kindness. Mm. So if there is somebody out there, we all know these people. Oh, yeah, we know them. These people that want to bring you down, that are being confrontational with you, that are being brutally horrible to you, that are trying to belittle you, demean you. God, this is sounding like a speech. I'm going <laughs> like to take, I'm gonna have to take this on the road, Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a little Edinburgh slot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But if you if you're in that situation where you're just being confronted by somebody that is awful, don't rise to it. Mm. What you do is you plaster on a wreath of smiles around your face. And I mean, it is hard. It's it so takes, hard. Yeah, it takes practice. Yeah. And you literally just treat them with extreme kindness, mm. with the smile never falling. I think the first time I did this, my sister and I were in a pub. This really horrid woman uh, sat in our seats. Mm. We've gone up. I know this sounds pathetic. This sounds, come on, this is a first world problem. (laughs) We'd gone up to the bar to get a drink, got back, and she and her horrid friend had sat in our seats. Mm. And I said, I'm really sorry. I think, uh, I think we, I think. I think we were, we were sitting there, got a bag there or something. And she was so deeply unpleasant. And I could see my sister next to me. She's much more of a like, right, somebody confronts you, bring them down, take yeah. them down. And I just kind of put a slightly sinister hand on her shoulder and I killed this woman with kindness. And her face, she was like a sort of guppy fish. The kind of the jaw fell and she was just totally didn't know what to do with herself. Yeah. And my sister said it was chilling. She described it as absolutely (laughs) chilling. I was so delightful and pleasant and kind to her. She said it was chilling. Did you get the seats? You got the seats back? No, we didn't. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) But it went down better. We didn't. But there there have been, I'm going to say there have been many Mm. times when actually it's worked in my favour. Seriously. Just get, yeah. honestly, just try it, Rhiannon. Mm. Try it. You have to keep very, very calm mm. and just grab that moral high ground, literally. Yeah. Run up the stairs 
onto the moral high ground and grab it, lie down and just kind of flat face yourself onto the moral high ground. It's brilliant. I'm going to try it because you just never feel good after you've exploded, do you? At the time, maybe. No, you look rubbish. Mm. You feel rubbish. Mm. You feel empty. You've wasted good adrenaline that you could have used (laughs) on something else. And it's just appalling. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, have you got much of a temper? Did you have do you have to control yourself sometimes or Yeah, I do actually. It's a family trait. I mm. think we all have we can all have quite short fuses. I really try to control it with the kids. I mean it was really put to the test last year. <laughs> yeah. I mean massively and the beginning of this year. <sighs> but you just ha- you have to you absolutely yeah. have to. There's no point. There's just anyway, there's no point. No. Have you been in homeschooling hell like the rest of uh, the world? Thank the Lordy, Rhiannon. My kids are now 17 and 18. Wow, okay. So my elder daughter, Floss, is doing an art foundation. So we've now got art school in the garden shed. She's completely taken over the garden shed. Wow. And the other daughter, my younger, Vita, is doing A-levels. She's lursic. Okay. So she's doing drama A-level um, and a couple of others. And you go past her room and there's just sort of, burr, burr, and you just think, right, she's on drama. Good, right. she's doing drama. So, yeah, it's fun and games. Fun and yeah. games. Yeah, I think it's still hard for everybody, though, no matter what age the, the children are at, to all be under the same roof and having to deal with oh, all those man. pressures, yeah. Well, yeah, my neighbours got, like, tiny children and they're they're of school age. And, I mean, I just take my hat off Mm. to her and indeed to all parents across the country who over the last the last months have been have been doing it a full 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 respect yeah absolutely yeah now you're a novelist everyone's going to be asking you how do you write a novel oh my my darling let (laughs) me just take up my quill and throw my pashmina around myself as I try to answer this very taxing question (laughs) Um, well, listen, I think everyone does it their own way. I'm obsessed with people like JK Rowling who talk about, you know, sitting on a train and writing half a chapter on the back of a fag packet or whatever. Mm. I just think that's amazing sitting, you know, in a cafe with their toddlers and writing on a napkin. I just, Mm. I'm not that sort of writer. I don't think when I was writing the best things, which I did in the winter of 2019, I went to the local library every day. I'm obsessed with my local library. I'm desperate for it to open again. I just love my local library so much. I mean, who knew? Who knew? I used to get there five to nine without fail every weekday so that I could be the first person into the local library so that I could get the chair that I wanted in the local library. Wow! But it's, it's brilliant being in the local library and writing because it just focuses you you Mm. can't resort to oh the kettle the dog the washing the cooking you can't resort to any of that Mm. it's like every day is this kind of cleansed space and you just gotta there's nothing else to do (laughs) I mean you can read obviously actually that's true you've got to plant yourself in a really boring section Mm -hmm. I think I might have been and I'm not I don't want to diss archaeologists but I was in the archaeology section with quite a few dusty books so I just thought, brilliant. I'm not going to be, you know, distracting myself with these. Yeah, I love, I think that's such a good piece of advice. Use your local library. I mean, how did you come to it? You must have 
have felt like you could have a go at trying you know typing in bed or on the couch oh no I can't I just can't I can't I don't know there's something I think it's because it doesn't feel like work Mm. and I am a bit of a Puritan actually I like to feel like I'm working not to say that I'm going to be masochistic about it and sort of I can only work in two degrees you know with a candle and fingerless gloves I'm not like that but I need to feel that I'm in a kind of work frame of mind I guess and much as I love my onesie my Sesame Street onesie Mm. it doesn't do it for me work-wise no yeah the local library I used to take my kids to a lot of stuff in the local library Um, so it's a place that I knew well then but knowing it in a different way now is actually really nice Mm. the place of just oh calm it's calm and all of life is there I love that all of life is there. It's open to anyone, everyone, any age, whatever their situation is. And I love that about local libraries. And I will, I will fight for them. I will. Yeah. Because I know they're under great pressure. A lot of yeah. Them. And that's so interesting what you say. Yeah. Such a great place for relaxation, but also people watching. I mean, that's oh, two of the yes. best things you need. Yes, actually that's, and you, you overhear some really fascinating stuff in the local library and they shouldn't be talking I have to say because uh, (laughs) there is a silence policy usually in the library but you pick up some great little pieces yeah fantastic Mm. we always like to finish on a worst piece of advice because you know as you said earlier you can learn from your failures so (laughs) tell us the worst piece of advice you were given okay we're in the late 90s Mm -hmm. um Light Lunch, the show that Sue and I are doing, is actually going down quite well. It's quite popular amongst students and prisoners, uh, (laughs) which makes us a bit of a cult hit. I'm 30 years old and it's the Mm. first time in my life that I've ever earned any money. I'm single. Do you like the way I'm doing this in the present tense? I'm trying to make it. No, I love it. I love it. It's like I'm reading your book. It's so lame. I'm single. I'm nudging 30. I've got a little bit of cash in the bank and I'm Mm. thinking, right, I'm going to go to a very, very well-known central London, very, very posh department store because I've never bought anything from a posh department store to wear, to wear. And I've seen it on AbFab. I've seen it, you know, in films. And I'm going to be that girl. I'm going to be Sarah Jessica (laughs) Parker. But the London, obviously much, much lamer version. Mm. So I sweep in to this department store. (laughs) I have no fashion sense, can I just say. (laughs) I mean, I read Grazia and I just, I love looking at all the pretty, beautiful pictures of all the amazing fashion. Don't really possess much of it myself. The white leggings anecdote will will (laughs) underscore that. So I'm in the department store and my eye is drawn immediately to a blazer. Mm. It's an orange blazer with a mustard stripe running down it. And I don't know what possessed me, but I went up to the stall and the lady, and and she is responsible for this. She gave me the worst (laughs) piece of advice ever. She said, oh, put it on. Yeah, put it on. Oh, oh, that looks absolutely bright. Oh, you've got got to have that. That's amazing. And I was so flattered by her. I bought it. It was about £300. Oh, my God. Which is, which is, Awful. I mean, I would never, ever spend that amount of money on an article of clothing. Bought the blazer, wore it to a party. People were literally buckled up, just laughing. (laughs) 
they were lit. I mean, they still talk about it. Sue oh, no. loves to talk about it. She talks about it twice a month, probably. Where is it? Does she have it? You should have given it to her. I gave it to a charity shop. Oh, that's better, I, was I suppose. So, no, I was so ashamed. A, that I'd spent that amount of money on a jacket and B, that it was that jacket. Yeah. I mean, it was disgusting. <laughs> it was really bad. It was like a sort of... I imagine like when a cricket team go on their annual dinner mm-hmm. that the kind of the, the chief cricketer will wear a kind of comedy blazer. Yeah. It was like that. Okay. <laughs> there is a thing though, isn't there? Your first pay packet when you just want oh. to treat yourself. That is such a nice feeling. Listen, if you don't have kids, if you don't mm. have, you're, you don't have much responsibility, mm. you know, and you're right. And you get this money and you just think, Oh my God, you know, mm. I think I did go a little bit mad that summer. I bought some quite rogue objects. <laughs> I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for coming oh, on the show today. I've loved it. Thanks, Rhiannon. So great to have Mel Gedroich on Grazia Life Advice. Her new novel is called The Best Things and it's out now. Definitely go check it out. Now, you've heard me ask many, many times before if you'd help us out by rating and reviewing the show. And you probably thought, I'll get around to that one day. Please make today that day. It really, really helps us out and helps new people find the show. They'll hear episodes from brilliant people like Mel Gedroich and recently Kate Thornton, Annie McManus, Edith Bowman, many, many more. See you next time. <laughs>